I think there's a power in like deconstructing things. So it's like, okay, if I believe that PR is my purpose, why? Mm -hmm. What about it do I love? What about it do I not love? What about it lights me up? What about it isn't working for me? And I think that's so much of the process of finding your purpose and finding a path that works for you is the actual work of just getting curious about your experience and how you're feeling and noticing when you feel really good, noticing when you're magnetic. And I think we all have those moments where we've been like, wow, I was really magnetic. I really felt in my power. I really felt in my in my worth, how can I bring more of those into my life? And I think the deconstruction is so important. But I also think you touched on something that's powerful. And I think this was something that I had to realize and something that I think a lot of people realize is that at first you think that your purpose is your job. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, my purpose is in PR. Like right. I'm a, it's a PR manager, it's a PR director, right. like whatever it is. And then you kind of evolve through that and you're like, oh my God, I'm so much more. Mm. Did you ever have that with your job? Yeah, because you know, PR is not a purpose. It's an action. <laughs> yeah, it's a thing. It's something that I did. Yes. Um, and so that's why that I love question, that God's like, yeah, okay. You're right. like PR. It's my purpose. It's my purpose. God's like, like, I made you for this. Right. It's like the, also the reason why you still have a bunch of teenagers standing outside a line waiting to get into American Idol because yeah. they feel like, you know, American Idol is my purpose. You know, becoming a star is my purpose. That may be a passion of how you activate your purpose, but why do you feel the need to sing? Why do you feel the need to share from that place? What about that is a direct reflection of your soul being shared with the world? And so it's getting, I think, more clear on those key elements of what about your work makes you feel connected to source, connected to a collective consciousness connected to something that is so much greater and more powerful than yourself. And if you can get to that place and deconstruct from that place, I think that that's when you can start figuring out what it is. I love too, when you talked a little bit about the origin story, and I think that's so powerful. And I really love that within your book, it's like you walk people through the process and it's very like Julie Solomon style where it's like, oh, we're going to do this right now. Where it's like, I'm not going to tell you, I'm also going to do this with you. And Sacral says. Yeah, literally. (laughs) Sacral says, we're actually going to do it right now. And I'm going to actually bring value right in this moment and make sure that you get it. What is the origin story? And how did you discover that as something kind of like a linchpin to Mm. understanding yourself more? Yeah. You know, an origin story, we all have one. And, um, to me, an origin story is is really they're the stories and the belief systems, and you know maybe if you come from a religious background, the belief systems around that that really shape and define how you think and feel in the world and how you respond and react in the world. And so we all have one that is unique to each and every one of us. You know, we see it in like the comic book worlds, right? It's like this person that has to you know have have this hero's journey and they come back and they're able to, you know, fight the the shadow. And it really is that. I mean, it's all mm-hmm. shadow work. And so for me, my origin story, and you usually don't really see what that story may be consciously until it smacks you in your face with, with a rock bottom. So it's happened to me many of times, one in a relationship. I was married before my my husband now. And so that divorce taught me a lot about my beliefs around relationships and my issues with codependency and my lack of boundaries. And I share a lot in the book and we can talk about that today. And then another part was my shame around money. And that came to a moment where I get a call from my husband and he said, when were you going to tell me about the credit card? 
And what he didn't know is that for the last three years prior to that, I had been racking up credit card debt. And I had slowly but surely racked up about $30,000 of credit card debt. And I had completely kept it from him. And that omission, obviously, in and of itself is a betrayal. And that's a lie. So I'd been lying to myself and to him about this credit card debt. And I mentioned this to you briefly on our walk, but it was such a... The rock bottom for me was like this crazy manifestation that I had created of denial and delusion. Like I would tell myself things, oh, he's just going to book a job and then I'll pay the credit card debt off and he won't ever find out. Or I'm going to get a bunch of brand deals and pay this thing off in time and he'll never find out. Or I'm going to win the lottery, Mm -hmm. even though I'm not buying lottery tickets. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. like somehow pay it off and it's going to be fine. And it was all of these just very delusional way of Mm -hmm. thinking that got me in this moment. And I want to say too, that in a lot of ways, delusion and relentlessness for me can be a gift. Yeah. Because it allows me this focus to not give up. It allows me this capacity to think limitlessly, but it can also be a major defect. Mm -hmm. And so in this moment, it was a massive defect in personality and character flaw that was coming out. And there was no way to hide it. I couldn't get away from it. And in that moment of this unraveling of now having to deal with, you know, breaking my husband's heart, And having to admit that I betrayed him and betrayed myself and all of this stuff came up. And the one question that just kept ringing in my head was like, why why am I so afraid to be honest about money? Why am I so afraid to be honest about my fear around money, my fear around making money, my fear around managing money, my fear around losing money? And it's because that's how I learned to survive. I came from a family that did not have a lot. We came from a very, very small town in Tennessee. My dad literally grew up in a shack with eight brothers. Mm. I remember being a little girl and walking to the outhouse to go to the bathroom because my grandparents could not afford heat or indoor plumbing. And this was not 1942. (laughs) I'm 37. This was the 90s. You know, and then the shack was torn down. And then my grandmother lived in a double wide trailer for the rest of her life. She never saw the ocean in person. She never left Tennessee her entire life. She lived until she was 91 years old. And so this idea of scarcity, this idea of, I mean, my dad literally wore a blue collar to work every day. Mm. It is that small town blue collar mentality that as long as you hopefully have enough money to pay your bills, that's it. There is, there's, there's nothing else. So Mm -hmm. I didn't know that there was anything else other than that. I didn't know what was possible outside of the scarcity mindset. I also grew up in a home where there was a lot of alcohol and the plays of that, which I talk about in the book. I also grew up you know, with a mom that clearly had her own stuff around money because she would come home from Walmart and like rush into her closet to hide her shopping bags because mm. she didn't want to, I guess, quote unquote, get in trouble for spending money. Mm. And so all of these things that at a very young age, I would just witness mm and absorb. And I was like a sponge. And I was like, oh, I guess it's not okay to spend money. I guess it's not okay to make money. There's not a lot of money available. Um, My parents got divorced. I remember screaming matches about money. I mean, this this was my belief. This was my origin story around money. So it started to make sense as to, oh, of course I'm doing this. I don't know that there's another option. I only see from my own lens of what I'm seeing right now. But I was also an adult. And so whatever those issues were, were no longer childhood issues or daddy issues or mommy issues. They were Julie issues. 
And I had to either face them or not. And so this this being found out, which by the way, is my worst fear ever, mm-hmm. is being found out. And here I was being found out. I could see you having that as your Ooh, fear. Oh, yeah. I don't <laughs> want to be like, found out. I'm bad. Oh, <laughs> you're like, no, I'm perfect. Yes, I'm perfect. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> Literally. And, and that's, and, but what's crazy <gasps> is, and me being, I'm, I'm a massive manifester. Mm-hmm. And so, but sometimes that can work for me or not. And so I literally manifested being found out because I was so terrified of being found out. Yes. It totally makes sense. So I was found out and I immediately, you know, I got into therapy. I got into an incredible 12-step group called Al-Anon and really started to deconstruct my behaviors and my patterns and my way of thinking and why I reacted the way that I did, why I responded the way that I did. The other thing that I started to notice, even as I started to make a lot of money, um, and I think women from what I've noticed through coaching can relate to this. So I think it's important to share. I've seen women, including myself, do one of two things. They either make a lot of money and then it's like they throw it underneath a bed, Mm -hmm. like in a shoebox, because they're like, I don't want to lose the money or, you know, I don't know what to do with this. Or they take it and just, they don't even have it for 2.5 seconds and they already spend it. Mm -hmm. And both of those are worthiness issues around money. Mm -hmm. I'm not worthy of using the money. I'm not worthy of having the money. I'm not worthy of keeping. It's like the hot potato. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I'm either going to like stash it under my bed and not ever touch it, or I'm going to spend it faster than I can make it. Mm -hmm. And so all of these things were coming through with this origin story and and even playing out, you know, it's not just money, it's, you know, with with other people, with relationship dynamics, my lack of boundaries, mm-hmm. my my codependency issues. Mm-hmm. You know, I love just just to stick my head in the sand and act act like it's fine, it's fine, I'll figure it out. And so that was really the gift of this whole thing with my origin story and and really what it had allowed me to kind of see in a new and clear way. And from that, and I talk about this in the book, what is my key to freedom? What I found to be my key to freedom is awareness, acceptance, and action. Mm -hmm. They're known as the three A's in therapy circles and 12-step groups. I didn't make them up, but realizing that they were available to me, realizing that I could become aware of the reality of the situation that I was in and just the awareness of what is, then I had the ability to accept what is exactly the way that it is, not the way that I want it to be, not the way that I think that it should be, mm-hmm. but just accept exactly what is. From that place of acceptance, I could then take action. Mm-hmm. And I could take action in a way that was serving me, not in a way that was being detrimental to my growth and to my relationships. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for tuning in to Morning Microdose by Almost 30. We hope you enjoyed waking up. As always, we encourage you to take what resonates and leave the rest. If you enjoyed this trip, tune into the full episode on the Almost 30 podcast. All episode information can be found in the show notes. Make sure to subscribe. And if this becomes a part of your morning routine, be sure to share it with a friend. We have new inspiring doses Monday through Friday. Follow us on Instagram at Morning Microdose and follow Almost 30 at Almost 30 podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in the vortex.